Tune into the manifesto hosted by Emily Wheaton, Logan Cook, and Logan Bishop. The Political Science Society's new radio cast. Catch us on local 107.3 FM and wherever you find podcasts. Boom. Welcome to the manifesto. My name's Logan, and today my guest is Rob McKee, MLA from Moncton Center. Hi, Rob. Hi, Logan. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, thanks. First thing I want to talk about is the the prov- the Higgs government is doing consultation meetings in the prov- across the province of involving French immersion. I went to the one yesterday here in St. John, and it was heated to say the least. What are your What are your thoughts on the Higgs government and the French immersion elimination? You want to do? Yeah, and I uh, I attended in Moncton as well, and we had some colleagues up here in, in St. John last night, and it sounds like it was a lot of the same. Uh, right off the get-go in Moncton, I can say the the whole process was was taken over by by the the people that wanted to have yeah. their voices heard, and it sounds a little bit the same. I'm not sure last night how far they got into the World Cafe before <laughs> before town hall the type of. Uh, meeting took place but you you know i think the higgs government needs to listen to the people the people that are voicing their concerns are our parents but they're also uh, experts in french second language training mm-hmm. ones that have been in the field for a very long time and a lot of the evidence points to french immersion being the best way for someone to learn a second language french and so uh, from what i'm hearing at least in moncton the the issues have to do more or less with uh, you know what's going on in the english prime uh, side of things and there are problems there no doubt that we can't deny you know with classroom composition and having a number of students on personalized learning plans all grouped in one classroom making it very challenging for teachers for students to 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 get ahead in that environment but it doesn't need to come at the expense of french immersion it seems like french immersion is the the scapegoat here for all these other uh, issues that are Um, affecting uh, the schools and so I think we need to look at those issues and and address them but uh, we don't need to to scrap French immersion as we know it I think uh, we should give schools proper resources the uh, the assistance to to give students the tools they need to get ahead and if if, uh, a student who uh, needs extra help if they if they need uh, extra resources, but they still have the opportunity to to go into the French immersion program, and they should not be streamed out. I know we talk about streaming; they should be giving those same opportunities as everyone else. But if they need the extra resources, that's where the problem lies. And I think no matter what the program looks like, if we're going to go to this fifty-fifty base model for for students that need extra help, that those needs are still going to be there regardless of the type of program uh, that is implemented and and, uh, again it comes down to to issues that can be resolved without scrapping French immersion as we know it. Yes a lot of the people that mean last they were teachers, former teachers, parents, grandparents and they're all like teachers are already struggling as it is, there's not enough teachers and bringing in this 50-50 will just put more strain on the system that's already Yes. Enough. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, they talk about 
going through the last three years, the most difficult time uh, in in recent history for for teachers, for students, going through the pandemic, and now to add this on when we're just trying to get back on our feet, students, teachers trying to get back on their feet, they don't need more change, and we've tinkered with the system, you know, uh, every few years for the last 10-15 years uh, in terms of French immersion. I think we need to to stop with that. We need to look at what the other issues are in the in the classrooms and address those issues and give everyone the, the opportunity to get ahead. And one of the other issues that came up is that some, you know, with learning difficulties might actually uh, be negatively impacted if we're going to, you know, mandate them you know to learn 50% of their time in, in a in a different language when they're having problems with uh, reading and writing in English and need mm-hmm. to focus their attention there so it, it's it's a double-edged sword you, you know we're taking away opportunities for kids that lo- are looking for more of a challenge and we're also hindering those that might need extra attention in, in learning uh, reading and writing in English. The, the next election here in the province is scheduled for the fall of 2024, and so far it does look like the Liberals will regain control of the legislature and have Susan Holt as Premier. But the Liberals have lost a lot of foothold in some of these rural Anglo seats over the past two elections, say, like St. John Harbor and Funny the Isle of St. John West. What is the Liberals' plan? to regain these seats that they have lost over the past few elections? Well, I think with uh, Susan Holt uh, now as, as leader of the Liberal Party, uh, you know, in and of itself, she's, you know, bringing a, a fresh approach uh, to, to, to the Liberal Party, to politics. But, you know, it's not just a cliche. She, she comes with credentials to back up what, uh, you know, what she has to offer. And so far, uh, what I've seen from her, she's out there in the field all across the province, meeting with uh, stakeholders, meeting with uh, concerned citizens, and she's offering up uh, an open ear. She's listening to people's concerns, and she, she's trying to regain the trust of the of uh, the population for you know what the Liberal Party stands for, uh, and, and I think she's she's doing a good job, and uh, we need to be out there in those uh, unheld ridings, uh, like uh, in in many areas uh, in the south of the province, Anglophone areas mm-hmm. that that we need to to build, I guess, confidence in that we are able to govern for all of New Brunswick, and I believe that we are the party to do that. That we do have the, the concerns uh, of all New Brunswickers at heart and I think Susan Holt is doing a good job so far of, of demonstrating that she has the capabilities to do so and she is uh, winning over trust in all areas of, the New, Brun- uh, of New Brunswick. Late last year the Hays government announced Bill, I think it was Bill 23, which was seen as a union busting bill. I again public sector workers I don't really understand the bill can you go into more detail about the bill and your concerns with it yeah well the main concern is uh, you know setting a, uh, essential worker designation levels meaning that uh, you know essential services are required even during a strike mm-hmm. to maintain a staffing level of a certain threshold so even if you're on strike you need to, to report to work and have so many people on the job and and there as it stands they're they're setting designation levels that are, are unattainable mm-hmm. and that uh, essentially they'll have to bring in uh, 
scabs, if you want to call them that. I don't like the the term, but uh, you know, it, it's basically allowing government to bring in uh, replacement workers to fill those jobs, and it's essentially watering down the right to strike for for these unions. It's it's taken away, you know, the the, the rights of the workers, and it's, it's swinging the the pendulum back in favor of of government and in some of these labor negotiations and uh you know it's it's definitely a concern and we've seen the higgs government over the last several years in different situations how they have not respected uh unions they've not respected their their rights you know they've taken health care uh they, well they they first of all when i first uh, came on the scene in 2018 it was the nursing home workers mm-hmm. at that time that took them to court uh, uh then, then we saw last year with uh, with healthcare workers that used an emergency measures order to get them back on the job, and just the way that they handled the whole uh, the whole strike last year as well. You know, it just it doesn't leave me with much confidence that they are able to uh, negotiate in good faith. Uh, we've seen time and time again that they've resorted to, to tactics, and this is just another one that is raising concerns and taking away. Uh, workers' rights. The the healthcare system in this province is frankly on the verge of a collapse. The Higgs government seems to have little interest in fixing it, just throwing money at the wall and hoping it sticks. What is the Liberals' plan to fix the healthcare system and bring in more doctors, more nurses, more nurse practitioners and just fix the system that is you know, it's a it's a big question. We could uh, you know talk for for hours on this, uh, but uh, you know when when Susan Holt first came into uh, her leadership of the Liberal Party, the first thing she did was uh, go out and listen to to stakeholders. She listened to. Uh, healthcare uh, workers, different professional associations, and she brought forward, you know, a plan with with six ide- six six ideas, six points, mm-hmm. a six point plan to address healthcare. And there were a number of initiatives on there. And the the, the biggest thing that I uh, repeat over and over again is. Uh, you know, to increase uh, access to primary care is moving uh, towards multidisciplinary teams to bring in different healthcare professionals under one roof, working together in collaboration. Uh, to to you know, they can increase their workload, find efficiencies in that matter. And we know that there are, uh, I think it's four out of ten uh, primary care uh, healthcare providers that are working uh, independently at this time. They want to work in teams. So that is that is one initiative that will will find efficiencies in getting more people access to primary care, because we know without access to primary care, uh, Brunswickers are having a hard time uh, finding the care when they need it. They're turning to emergency rooms. In turn, emergency rooms are are overburdened. They're uh, busting at the seams, yeah. making for long wait times for for people to access care. Uh, so, so if we can get the issues that don't belong in emergency rooms, get those out of the emergency rooms into these types of, of clinics, uh, everyone uh, will have better access uh, to healthcare. And so, uh, again, and it's the same thing with you know we know that offload delays for ambulances is another factor there when they're getting to the emergency rooms. They're 
you know paramedics are having to to wait hours on end to offload their patient because there's no one to take them at the hospital because uh, of, of just being overworked so you know i think if we can address the issue with access to primary care like uh, setting up these types of clinics uh, it'll have a domino effect in, in relieving pressure all across uh, the system and you know another issue is is uh, seniors that are taking up beds in hospitals while waiting for for a nursing home yeah. um there's there's it's a staffing shortage there's there's vacancies at a number of nursing homes now uh, empty rooms but there's no staff to take these uh, people in and so we, we need to be more aggressive in, in recruitment and and retention and one of the initiatives that we talked about was going uh, to our nursing schools and and guaranteeing them a job on the spot every you know if we went every year we'd, we'd go to the first year uh, class we would give them a, a guaranteed job once they graduate uh, to work here in New Brunswick and we could do this for a number of different uh, healthcare uh, professions that are you know badly uh, required at this time and so that's one way that we could do it we could also uh, we could also target uh, investments uh, in, in tuition assistance yeah. you know we could look at uh, what are the different programs where where we have the biggest need and offer free tuition or tuition uh, rebates you know just find different ways that we can uh, get people uh, into these programs and graduated to, to work in New Brunswick and so targeted tuition relief in the sector is where we need it the most especially healthcare would be another way to to uh, build our workforce and then you know just looking at working conditions as well you know they're they're burnt out the the nurses different professions that we have now we're asking them to do more uh, and and so we, we need to look at working conditions but you know it, it all has to do with uh, with recruitment as well you know making sure we have adequate numbers or so not uh, calling on from people uh, too much so you know just have better balance for for everyone so those are issues that uh, that we need to look at another big i don't want to say concern but something else that the Hayes government did last year was he hinted at allowing fracking in new brunswick again that was a big issue about a decade ago, I remember there was protests in the Mamashi Valley. It's uh, his plan to allow fracking, or his idea, sparked outrage from the opposition, from indigenous groups, from environmentalists. What are your thoughts on the government wanting to allow fracking in New Brunswick? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I mean, uh, in my personal view, it's an archaic. Uh type of uh, you know natural resource development i think we should be focusing our energy on renewable types of energy yeah, wind uh, solar tidal you know there we have untapped uh, you know potential here in the province that that we can look at and i you know i just i think he's going back in time uh, with lo- uh, reopening that debate uh, i don't even know if there's uh, you know a, a viable business model out there or you know the the private uh, companies to come in and, and do that. I don't know if that ship has sailed regardless. And yeah. so I don't know why he's reopening this, this debate when we should be looking at, you know, renewable types of energies. Uh, we, we know that his relationship with First Nations in the province are, is strained. And, 
we know when he reopened this a couple of years ago, he did he he lifted the uh, moratorium without consultation with First Nations. Yeah. Uh, you know, so has he begun those consultations at this time? I don't think he has. Uh, when we were in government, the Liberal government had set a number of conditions and uh, criteria for lifting that moratorium and and we stand by those conditions and until such time uh, that uh, those conditions can be satisfied i don't think uh, they should be reopening this debate and one of them is you know having a social license for fracking in the province and i just don't think there's an appetite there from new brunswickers i think they want to look to the future to renewable types of energies and that's where we should be focusing our energy. Yes, fracking does seem like it's something that uh, someone would want to do 40 years ago, but now we know that solar is useful and there's a there's a wind project happening here in St. John. We need to go away from fossil fuels and more towards renewable energy sources. Absolutely, and, that's the future. And we do, we have the Bay of Fundy, some of the highest heights in the world are here in New Brunswick, just yeah. off the coast. But regardless, um, the lack of affordable housing here in the province is a big concern for, I think, anybody. Since 2020, housing prices have gone sky high, rents have gone sky high, and people are getting kicked, people are having to leave their homes they've lived in forever because they can't afford to pay the rent to the landlord. Um, first off, the government got rid of the rent cap late last year. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I mean, I thought uh, under the current climate that the rent cap should have been maintained. You know, uh, long term, it would be nice if we lived in a a world where we didn't need to, to have a rent cap and regulate that uh, that industry in that in that fashion, but I think for uh, you know as long as uh, we're f- faced with this housing crisis, as, until it can be resolved, where we see uh, investments uh, from our government to develop more uh, affordable housing and not just subsidized housing, but having more uh, market uh, affordable rents for for everyday New Brunswickers that you know. The, the vacancy rates are, are so low right now and, and rents are, are sky high and I, a lot of developments uh, going on across the, the province and I know in, in my, my home city of Moncton there's a number of developments going on but a lot of it is not uh, what we would call affordable rent. It's yeah. you know luxury even in, in, in some cases and so until we see you know the, the increase in supply of affordable housing that we see this government taking it seriously i we i I believe that we need to have a cap on on rent increases until uh until we're in the clear so another thing that the government the government's in a lot over the past year they amalgamated uh, hundreds of small communities to reduce local entities from 340 to 89 Municipal reform, I'm from one of those small communities that was amalgamated. It did not seem popular among people. What are your thoughts on municipal reform that the Hayes government implemented last November? Yeah, well, certainly they, you know, they talked a lot initially in terms of uh, the the amalgamation piece, in terms of uh, giving everyone, you know, an elected form of, of, of government where... There are some rural areas that did not have any uh, elected representation. So I think that's important that they've addressed that issue. But there are still many concerns around the financial uh, model that they've implemented where... 
uh, where towns, uh, diff- you know, different municipalities are, are very concerned about meeting their budgetary requirements and having a government that uh, provincial government backing them up when they need extra help. And the, the government always said all along that, uh, you know, to get through these, uh, you know, growing pains that they would be there to assist. But then they seem to be reluctant at times when push comes to shove in terms of, of making those investments. Uh, so time will tell, uh, but they need to get the, the financial uh, equation uh, part of this uh, settled. And until that time, I think... New Brunswickers are right to, to be concerned. Uh, certainly rural areas, uh, residents are concerned about taxes uh, being increased. Yeah. So it, it's a real concern. And so, uh, you know, hopefully this government will listen to, to the concerns and, and address them in a proper fashion. And, you know, another area is, is where they're going to go to these ser- regional service commissions and give them added uh, mandates. And so with that, like social issues, for example, economic development, uh, we need to ensure that the proper uh, you know, financial envelope follows to ensure that these ser- service commissions have the tools, uh, resources they need to implement uh, you know, the social programs that we'll be asking of them. And so hopefully we're, we're you know, downloading services on municipalities, ho- hopefully that the, the financial envelope will follow and the tax burden on residents uh, will not be uh, you know, significantly uh, changed from, from what they're used to paying. Going back to housing, I did have a second question I forgot to ask. Do the Liberals have any have any plans on how to fix the affordable housing crisis that we're currently in? Well, what we're doing right now is uh, meeting with stakeholders. We we know uh, there there are a number of uh, reports out there, you know, including the sh- you know shortage of construction workers being you know a, a huge concern as well. So you know we're meeting with all stakeholders, and what our plan is is to put out uh, a report, kind of like what we did with the healthcare uh, report that uh, Susan had put together uh, with her six-point plan on, on addressing uh, the healthcare crisis. We're working on a similar plan to address the housing crisis, and it needs to address the, you know, housing along the entire spectrum from, you know, from transitional housing all the way to, to owning a home. And so uh, ensuring that we have the proper investments, that we have... Uh, incentives for uh, you know private developers to go into the affordable uh, marketplace because for the, for them with a shortage of workers they're you know they're going to go to the the projects that are guaranteed that are going to you know get them the income that uh, that you know that they desire and rightfully so and so we we as a government need to incentivize the development with private developers and we have to look at programs to increase our supply of construction workers uh, so those are just a, you know a number of issues to name a few that need to be addressed and I, we hope to put together a plan uh, over the next uh, little while that uh, you know that will be doable and something that we'll call on the government to act on uh, a story was recently released by the CBC showing that the province changed the way that they count people in jails so that it looks like that the jails are overcrowded and overflowing which they are full but they're not overflowing which, that means the government wants to build a 40 million dollar jail in Fredericton 
do you think that the Pirates need to spend f- at least $40 million on a GL that is frankly not needed? Uh, no, I do not. I, you know, and it's interesting that uh, the minister now is, you know, trying to manipulate the numbers to show that there is a need when in fact there isn't you know when when uh, media agencies uh, or whoever did uh, you know request for information to see what the numbers actually looked out like and come to find out that when they were saying it was overpopulated it was actually under and then now they're coming out with new numbers new ways to to count you know they're they're what they're doing is they're including People who are serving sentences in the community on on a conditional sentence, yeah. house arrest, that type of thing, because there's a risk if they, you know, reoffend and their their ticket is pulled and they have to go into jail. But uh, you know, it, it, it's not you know it, it's it's not uh, common practice to to count them as incarcerated being inside the jail system and so they're they're using those numbers to say well they're actually over capacity when they're not and so what i would say is that we need to invest the money in rehabilitative measures Mm -hmm. mental health and addictions for offenders in this case you know that you know will address uh, some of the root causes of, of why they're committing crimes and give them help so they don't reoffend, which will in turn re- reduce uh, you know, in the, the population of, of people incarcerated and reduce the need for, for more jails. And that's where I think we should focus our attention on preventative measures, yeah, which definitely. will in turn make it less costly to, to incarcerate, which you know, is the most you know, expensive way of, of dealing uh, with uh, with offenders, when in reality we should be giving them uh, rehabilitative programming, you know, to ensure that they get the help they need and that are not reoffending and being a burden on the system. Last year, the the finance minister, I think, who I believe is Ernie Steves, announced that the uh, announced that the province has a seven hundred and seventy seven million dollar surplus. But there are many problems in this province: healthcare, education mental health, housing, I can go on forever. What should the government do with their surplus? To f- and should they fix the problems that they have with this extra money that they magically got from? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting the way that they, they turned up with these surpluses when, you know, when I think it was last year they were in a, a deficit position uh, at budget time. And then lo and behold, there was, a, a you know, an almost billion, $1 billion swing in their in their financial position. And so what that does is that it, it at budget time, when we're debating on on the budget, it, you know they're they're telling us they're addressing the needs of New Brunswickers. Look at where we're spending, but in reality, uh, they're 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 not spending that money. They're actually turning a surplus. Uh, the revenues are underestimated, and so it's it's taken away our ability to have a proper debate on what those needs of New Brunswickers are. And so, without knowing the financial position of, of the province and, and we accuse them of manipulating the numbers. They say that uh, no, it was too difficult to, to estimate but I think I think that they were fudging. They, they were trying to take away our ability to debate and, and offer up solutions on, on where we should be spending our, our surplus and and you know they, they come back after the fact saying that uh, you know we're paying down the debt and, and I mean that's, that's all, all us 
important as well, paying down the debt. But mm-hmm. I think we need to look at some of the areas that need uh, need help, and that's housing. The housing crisis is top of mind. Healthcare. Uh, you know, we don't want just want to throw money out the door without results. But I think there are a number of areas in both uh, healthcare, housing, education. You know, the the hot button items where we could yeah. make targeted investments to make a difference. You know, we talked about education earlier, having uh, adequate amount of EAs to help the, those kids that need the help, you know, complex cases. In healthcare as well, we could be more aggressive in, in our recruitment efforts. Uh, you know, we could also look at the housing crisis that we, we should be uh, aggressively moving on as well. And so those are the areas that I think need ad- addressing and, and need to be uh, looked at from from government. And, you know, they, they talk about tax cuts and income tax uh, relief and, and that kind of thing, but uh, which is all uh, good as well. But, you know, they need to look at the needs of New Brunswickers and, and address those issues. Have a balanced approach is what we call for. Yeah. Uh, last fall, you were named leader of the opposition in the legislature after your colleague, Denny Landry, uh, resigned. What's it like being an opposition leader? Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a unique situation for me having uh, Susan as the uh, leader of the Liberal Party. But as you know, she's not yet elected to the uh, Legislative Assembly. And so it requires the, the opposition party to have a leader inside the House. And so, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, that the, the party has given me to, to lead in, in this capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so so with that being the, the dynamic, you know, I... I I handle a lot of the the, uh, the the processes to that take place inside the legislative assembly and and you know leading question period and, and that kind of thing, but you know a lot of the issues outside of, of the house with party related, you know Susan obviously is the leader and she's uh, the face of the party and she's the one that's you know leading the charge in terms of stakeholder engagement and you know meeting with. Uh, constituents yep. around the province and that kind of thing. So, you know, the the load is a bit lighter than than other interim leaders have had before me. But uh, you know, certainly with the work around the legislative assembly, it's it's been a good experience for me and something that uh, you know I I've been uh, happy to do. And uh, but will be even as happy when she does get elected and, and takes the chair herself. Yes, yeah, speaking of her getting elected, do we know when the by elections are going to be in the? Ryan that she's running in and the other two that are have, that are empty or vacant. Yeah, well, the the, the legislation as it stands is is that uh, you know elections should be called within six months of the vacancy. But there's been you know a loophole or mm-hmm. vagueness in the legislation that uh, that premiers can can manipulate. They're the ones that. You know, uh, are the the ones to, to go to the uh, to lieutenant governor to, to, to for the writs on on those by elections. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it's at their pleasure, and uh, it it should take place within six months. Uh, but in the past, they've manipulated a little bit 
the, the legislation not to call the, the by-elections within that time frame. But in the session last fall, I actually presented legislation to close that loophole. Mm -hmm. uh, it received royal assent, so I'm hoping the Premier will, uh, will now follow the legislation, uh, the amended legislation. And so the dates for the by-elections should come, uh, you know, April or May of this year. I know we're gearing up for them. We're, we're you know, lining up our, our candidates in those areas and hopefully April or May uh, those elections will happen. Yes, I, I a couple of years ago, I think it was the 2018 election, remember Greg Thompson was elected in St. Croix and he died not long after and his seat remained empty until the 2020 election. Almost two full years of no MLA, which seemed to me wild. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, same thing with uh, Mayor Mishi. We had the two uh, two uh, members there who uh, who resigned their seats to run federally, yeah. one against the other, and those two seats remained empty as well for, you know, 10 or 12 months. And, you know, those were during a period of time when we were, you know, debating the municipal reform, mm -hmm. debating, you know, the healthcare housing crisis that we're facing, and, and parts of the province not having representation at the table, it would you know, is, is a significant problem, and so that's why uh, we closed that loophole. Hopefully, it will be followed now, and we'll get representation in those empty seats. Before you were elected MLA, you were a city councilor in Moncton. Tell us about that transition and the differences between being a city councilor and being an MLA. Yeah, I guess the differences uh, at city council, you're, you know, you're 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 all individuals. You're not uh, represented by yeah. parties, and so in that respect, you, you're, you know, a lot of the work that you're doing is is on your own. Whereas uh, with within a party, we have a team uh, with us. We have staff to to help us. Mm -hmm. So that that's one of the the big differences in terms of your preparation. But the work itself, you know, like you're meeting with the constituents, answering calls. The, the you know a lot of the, that work is, is similar. Uh, you know, of course, being in, in opposition uh, in the province at, at this time is different where, you know, you don't necessarily have any power to, to make any decisions. Yeah. You can try to influence decisions as best you can uh, in opposition with, uh, you know, questions, motions, and, and just, you know, advocating for, for New Brunswickers. Uh, whereas, you know, at, at City Council, you're at the table, you, you have a vote in, in the decision-making uh, process. And so, uh, for me, that's been a little different in terms of being an opposition member. You're more of a, an advocate trying to make change without uh, being at the table, making those decisions. What is your greatest accomplishment as an elected official, either as city council in Moncton or as MLA in Moncton Center? Uh, greatest accomplishment? It's hard to say. We, you know, we advocate <laughs> for a number of issues. Uh, one of them for me, uh, would be with uh, you know the Boys and Girls Club in Moncton. I, I pushed hard for them to to secure funding for uh, raising the grade program that they've mm -hmm. had uh, for a number of years. But uh, with a lot of nonprofits, uh, year after year, uh, funding agreements uh, expire, and they're always at the table. Uh, pleading their case for, for funding for another year, and uh, I was able to, to help them in securing some funding there. Uh, you know, during the, the pandemic as well, it was very difficult. I was able to, to help. There's a community sports program in Moncton uh, that I helped uh, stay, stay afloat during, mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Um, 
one of the issues that I'm advocating for the most, I guess, at this present time, it's not yet uh, accomplished, but hopefully will be accomplished, is a mental health court. We have one in St. John, okay. and I've been pushing for it to be expanded to other areas of the province, like Moncton, Fredericton, you know, northern New Brunswick. We should have that same access to justice everywhere. A mental health court, meaning it's uh, an alternative type of uh, procedure for people with mental illness that find themselves involved with the law mm -hmm. they can go through uh, rehabilitative types of, of measures they can get treatment instead of sending them to jail and it, you know it ties into what we talked about earlier with the with the new jail so you know we should make investments there and so having a mental health court is something i've been advocating strongly for and hopefully we'll see uh, see the day in other areas other than saint john honestly i didn't know there was a such thing as a mm. mental mental yeah. health court here in the city yeah. or anywhere in this province. Huh. It's something new today. A question I like to ask almost all of the guests we've had is, do you support electoral reform and changing the electoral system away from first past the post to something more representative of the voting population? I mean, it's it's a it's a good question. I think I think we should look at different ways to to. Uh, you know, make uh, running for office uh, more desirable for people. Uh, we should look at the the ways we we elect people. I think if uh, New Brunswickers are losing faith in, in the system, you know, I think there's always ways that we can make it better. And uh, if if we look at electoral reform, you know, it, it's uh, it's quite significant. It would be a you know a shift uh, where. We've seen other provinces study. They put out referendums, and oftentimes it came back that uh, you know the majority of population said no, that they're satisfied with uh, with what they have. So I mean, there's pros and cons to all the systems, but certainly when you look and you see a party only having thirty or forty percent uh, support, forming a majority government, you know, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, you know, one of the things that we could look at, and that's what we implemented with uh, the leadership vote was having a, a preferential ballot so you would rank yeah. your you know you would rank your uh, your preference one through uh, however many you might have and uh, you know that that kind of balanced it off a little bit in terms of uh, the first pa past the post being balanced by having people's second choices uh, considered and so i think that might be something uh, to look at if we're going to make incremental steps towards electoral reform my final question to you is what does the future hold for you are you going to run to re-election in the next election or do you plan on running federally if the opportunity um, no, I'm I'm happy where I am, uh, running provincially. Uh, I I will be running in the next election. Uh, for me, uh, having a young family at home as well. I have two kids who are mm -hmm. six and nine years old. I think you know, pr provincial politics is is best in terms of trying to maintain balance for me. You know, family life uh, as well as professional. Uh, so you know, being not too far from home uh, is is important, and so I enjoy the work that I do uh, provincially, and uh, hopefully the uh, the constituents that I represent are happy with the work that I'm doing for them, and I hope to be uh, reelected at the next election. Well, 
that's all the questions I've got for you. Do you have anything you would like to say to the people listening? No, uh, I mean, I want to thank you for, for having me here, uh, here at uh, UNB St. John. I've actually graduated here myself in uh, 2008 in the, uh, the business uh, program, Applied Management. It was uh, accounting that I took here. Uh, so, yeah, I'm happy to be back, and uh, thank you for the invitation. And, uh, yeah, well, thank you very much. Thank you for coming down from Fredericton for this interview. Uh, my name's Logan. I'm the host of the Manifesto. Today, my guest was Rob McKee, MLA for Moncton Center. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Manifesto podcast brought to you by the UNBSJ Politics Society. I'm your host, Logan Cook. <laughs>